so last week, uh, what we've talked about is, is Paul uh, is, has transitioned uh, from really uh, the doctrine into uh, the practice and, and what it looks like to now live out uh, this faith that the first three chapters were really building uh, in this letter that he's written uh, to the churches at Ephesus. And, and as he talked last week, he really pleaded with them to walk in a manner worthy of their calling, to walk in a manner worthy of that incredible salvation calling uh, that, that they had the opportunity to receive. And, and, and he talks about how as they walk in that way, that it will preserve the unity that the Holy Spirit brings to the church. Now, when you think about just preserving unity and you think about unity as a whole, uh, when establishing unity, clarity is vital, isn't it? When you, when you think about a job setting and where you work, uh, for there to be uh, a, a unified approach to how you're, you're working, to how you're accomplishing the tasks and the goals of the or, overall organization, uh, there needs to be clarity in what you're doing and why you're doing it. When you think about being a part of a team, say like maybe even a sports team, um, there is uh, the, the incredible importance of clarity in understanding how you're going to do what you do, what you do, and and your purpose, where what you're moving towards, uh, what the goal is there. I remember uh, I had a coach, and and he used to say, "Hey, we are all five uh, individual fingers, and five because there's five basketball players on the court at one time." And he would say, "You're each a finger, but together we're a fist." And he would use that analogy all the time, um, and 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 he would teach us what it means to be that individual finger, part of the overall uh, hand or that fist. And when you think about your family uh, and, and the fam- your family's goals, what you hope to achieve as a family collectively, uh, all those things that, that, you're, that you're working towards or driving towards or, or helping uh, to push your kids towards, like what is that, right? Like, like who determines and defines that direction? And, and if there is unity within your family, there is, there, that means there's clarity. And when you think about even the church, this is critical. When you think about the church and, 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 and moving forward and, and reflecting God and, and all of that, it is vital that we have clarity. That's why our church uh, went through the process of establishing what our core values are. Right? What, what, what are those things uh, for us as a church so that, so that we are able to uh, operate in unity out of the clarity? That's why we have our core focus. And when you think about right now, why so many of us are struggling during this season uh, that we find ourselves in during this pandemic is uh, it's the reality that, that maybe for the first time for a lot of us, we do not have clarity. And I don't know uh, about you, but for me, I thrive on clarity and I thrive on rhythm and consistency. And so when that is thrown off, I really struggle. And what's so hard right now is, is as we're seeking out clarity for even how to operate uh, right now, whether it's your job, whether it's your family, uh, your daily rhythm, whatever that means, it, it's like we're trying to find clarity from a moving target and it's so difficult. But, but as we talk about really the church and we focus on that, and as Paul is writing this letter uh, to this church, we see that within the church, uh, for the church to operate practically um, in unity out of this oneness, it's going to come from a place of spiritual oneness or spiritual unity. 
right? So, so if the church is, is going to operate and be an example of unity, it's going to come from a place spiritually, right? It's going to come from that place inside in order so that it can practice it on the outside. And what Paul is going to do now is point out seven one statements to emphasize the spiritual oneness we share in the gospel. By reminding his readers of these distinctives, he reinforces both the sense of unity he wants them to have as the church, but also as their distinctive identity in relation to the surrounding culture. So he wants to reinforce the unity, right? The the foundational beliefs that they need to be unified around. And he also wants to reaffirm that because that also distinguishes them from the culture that they're surrounded by. While not all Jesus followers agree on minor matters of, of Christian doctrine, we should all agree on the foundational truths of the faith. And unity built on anything other than biblical truth As Jesus followers, it leaves us standing on a shaky foundation because if we as Jesus followers, if our unity is built on something outside of biblical truth, that means it's standing on something that somebody has created or implemented. In other words, it's based off of a person or people. And I don't know about you or your thoughts on this, but I know that that people are fickle, People change, people are inconsistent, and I know that I change. And so, and so we need to place our foundation, the basis of our unity on something that is unchanging, a solid foundation. And so, and so Paul walks through these seven one statements that are identifying these foundations. And he starts in verse four here of chapter four. It says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. So he kicks off with one body, right? There is one body. What is this one body? Well, Ephesians chapter two, verse 16, it says, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, Paul also says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Okay, now, so what is this one body? The one body is the body of Christ. It's made up of everyone who has or ever will trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And the unity of his body is at the heart of this letter. There is is no denominational body. There is no like geographical body. There is no like cultural body or ethnic body. It is the body of Christ. That is what we were all brought into, and that is the newness that we've been talking about that was created, um, that, that, that they are establishing through the gospel, through what Jesus did. And as we look at the body, the universal body of Jesus Christ around the world, we see this model, uh, and we see the description of it in Scripture. We, we see that, and that is the model for then the local bodies, right? The local bodies that God has established around the world. And so we have this, this overall body of Christ that we're in, but then we have uh, the, these localized bodies uh, that, that we go physically to church, right? Except for right now, when we go to the virtual church. But, but the local body is where we exercise spiritual gifts and where we help other people grow. It's, it's, it's our basis of community as Jesus followers. 
And so we see we are diverse in background and gifting, but we are united as one body of Christ. He then says what? One spirit, okay? So, so and one spirit, and, and as he says in one spirit, Christians are joined into one body by the spirit. Just as we read already, and I'll read it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, it says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So what did it say? For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? So, so once again, Christians are joined into the body of Christ by the Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit um, indwells every believer and is the inner unifying force, not only in the church, but inside of us. That's huge. And, and, and like last week, we saw that, that our job isn't to develop um, or create unity. No, no, no. Last week, we saw that the Holy Spirit creates the unity, and he empowers us to keep it and to maintain it. So the Spirit here, this one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is given also as a pledge, as assurance of our inheritance. And if you've been following along as we've been going through the book of Ephesians, that probably reminds you of Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14, where it said this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit, this is incredible, is given to us as a pledge of our inheritance, as almost like uh, an engagement ring, um, literally uh, as an assurance that all of this is going to happen, right? That, that Jesus is gonna come back, that we're gonna, that we're gonna live uh, in eternity in heaven. So the Holy Spirit is in us, reminding us of this. It's not only unifying us as a body, as a body of Christ um, to our brothers and sisters. He's not only unifying us, but he is speaking to us. He's reminding us of our inheritance in Jesus. He's pushing us forward. That's incredible. And so we're all, at the moment of our conversion, we are brought into that. It says, called to the one hope of your calling. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. And this call, this is through Christ and it is in Christ. See, formerly we were without hope, right? Ephesians 2.12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So uh, you before Jesus were without hope. Some of you right now that are watching, you've never made a decision to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You are watching and maybe even right now you're seeking out, where do I find hope? 
okay? And, and so I, I know from experience before Jesus, I had no hope. I was seeking it out in different things. And then once we uh, were found by Jesus, once we received that and, and called into his family, we found this hope. Now, this hope includes all that awaits Jesus' followers at his return and thereafter. In other words, we now hope as a result of what Jesus has done, we now await his return. We are a are, are living hope. We're actively awaiting his return where he's going to come and take us into eternal salvation. In Christ, we have different gifts, ministries, places of service, but only one calling. And this calling is described in Ephesians chapter 1, Verse four, it says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. So we're to be holy and blameless before him. Okay, so that's part of this calling. It says one hope of your calling. So we're living in anticipation and we are to be holy and blameless before him. And you cannot be that on your own. That is only possible through what Jesus did. And then we see that we're called to be conformed to the image of his son, of Jesus. In Romans chapter eight, verse 29, it says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So literally our calling is to be holy and blameless before him and to be conformed to the image of his son. So we right now are calling this hope that we're called to live in. We are looking with anticipation towards Jesus's return while focusing right now on becoming more like him. If you're a Jesus follower, that's where your mindset's at. And, and in those times of struggle, in those times of doubt, we're reassured that you have the Holy Spirit within you, assuring us, reminding us, not only our place, our standing with God, but that Jesus is coming back. Reminding us of that incredible fellowship that we now have the relationship. And so in those times of doubt, as you cling to God's word, the Holy Spirit is gonna remind you, he's gonna reinforce who you are. You know, some of you right now, you're struggling. Some of you right now, you're isolated. Some of you, uh, you find yourself discouraged, depressed, and, and you don't know what to do. And I wanna encourage you to really right now go before God and allow the Holy Spirit to just minister to you. And as you read his word, as you, as you go before him in prayer, as you take negative thoughts and bring them before the Lord, allow the Holy Spirit to remind you of who you are in Christ, to assure you of this calling, to, to, to bring to light the reality that, that, that Jesus is coming back for you. We see in, in verse five, it says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So there is one Lord. One Lord, that's Jesus Christ, our Savior. Acts 4.12, uh, it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 2 Corinthians uh, 4.5, it says, for, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. 
with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So uh, he is our Lord and Savior. He died for us, lives for us, and one day will come for us. When they said, when they were talking, these early believers here during this time, when they were saying uh, Jesus is Lord, what they were actually communicating um, and what people were hearing when they were saying this is that Caesar is not Lord. This was a big deal. When Jewish Christians were saying this, they were boldly identifying Jesus with the God of the Hebrew scriptures. And so this was not just some, uh, not merely an empty doctrinal affirmation for these early believers. No, they were losing their lives for this confession. They they were being beheaded uh, as a result of saying Jesus is Lord. You know, it's it's, it's difficult to believe that, that two believers can claim to have the same Lord and yet not be able to walk together in unity. While the world may know numerous lords, Christians know only one, and he's not going to give contradictory commands to his followers. That's important. Remember, all of this is in the light of unity. And and it's important for you to know that our Lord and Savior is not going to give you contradictory commands to his word, to his will, to uh, his nature. He's just not going to. And so if, if, I'm, if I'm saying, oh, um, it's okay that I gossip about this person, or oh, oh, it's okay if I, if I cheat on my, my, my wife, like da 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 like it's okay, or, or this or that. No, no, it's not. That's not of God. God's not telling you to do that, right? Because that's a contradiction to his nature, to, to who he is, to what he's about, to the unity of the Holy Spirit. And because here's the reality. We see in Christ, he is the reason the whole building grows into a holy temple, uh, Uh, Remember Ephesians 2? In fact, I'm going to read this to you. In Ephesians 2, and and I'll pick up up in, in 19 of Ephesians 2. It says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. It says, Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, like, do you see what, what like, uh, it all hinges on the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. So, in other words, he is not going to guide or direct you to do something that is going to hurt the structure, that is going to cause uh, it to not be unified in the direction uh, in, in how it's supposed to be built. And so when I'm operating or doing things that are hindering the unity that the Holy Spirit has brought, I am actually working in opposition to my Savior and Lord. Because as the cornerstone, he is going to build up an incredible temple and it's going to be unified. So when there is disunity, it is something in me or someone else. It's not of God. His commands are going to bring alignment. They're going to build up. It then says our, it says our one faith. Our one faith is the body of truth revealed in the word of God. So there is only one faith. 
In, in Jude chapter three, it says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, our common salvation, it says, right? One salvation. There is only one gospel. There are not multiple gospels. The early Christians recognized a body of basic doctrine that they taught, that they guarded, and they, then they committed others to teach it. See, with, with a lack of studying uh, God's word, outside influences, maybe people you hear, maybe people that claim uh, to, to hear this from God or, or maybe it's even another pastor or, or this or that or, or, or just somebody uh, that you know or you glance at a podcast and all of a sudden that, that, that's influencing your thoughts. Maybe it's personal desires, right? Like, like sometimes when it comes to my faith, uh, there's certain things I want this to say. Maybe it doesn't say, but I want it to say that. Or based upon what I'm seeing in culture, I want to bend what the Bible says in order to fit what, what I think it should because culture's doing this. Or maybe it's just like, like other things that, that, that will split. Like maybe it's just these desires within me that, that are going to split the doctrine that he has designed us to operate under and, and take it into all these different contradictory forms. God's word contains many truths, but its individual truths are harmonious to his one truth, part of his one story, the story, the one faith. See, Christians may differ in some matters of interpretation uh, and church practice, but all should agree on the faith and to abandon it brings disunity within the body. So when we start to abandon the gospel, that we start to see this disunity. And what's so heartbreaking is so many of you have seen this. You've experienced this. Some of you have been burnt by this, whether, whether it was a church leader, whether, whether it was someone you followed, uh, whether uh, it was a friend, whether it was someone you respected, whether it was a, a, a family member. Um, and, 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 and that's why when you think about it, some of you have, have deep wounds because of what you've seen done in the name of faith. And, and that's why so many of us are naturally skeptical. Maybe you're right now watching and you are skeptical of everything I'm saying. Where did that come from? You don't even know me probably. Like, where did that come from? Why am I that way? It's because of what we've seen. It's because of what we've heard or read or, or what we've known about certain people or, or just the wounds that we have. And I want to challenge some of you right now that are, that are right now, that you're sitting there and you're still sitting in that hurt. And I, and I just want to say this. Just because someone disqualified themselves doesn't mean you have to allow them to disqualify you. Listen, I, I've been hurt. I've been, I've been lied to. I've been lied about. I've been betrayed. I've been manipulated. And, 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 and those things I have experienced all under the context of faith. There were verses used many times. Now I would say verses abused in those situations, but I, I've been there and there are hurts, there are wounds, and, and I don't pretend they never happened, but I'll tell you what, I refuse to allow that or those people to take away from what God wants to do through me. And so I wanna just encourage and challenge some of you that are in that right now to make that choice to get back up, 
to be used by him. You're not disqualified. Then we see it says one baptism. Now this is the baptism by the spirit. When those who trust in Christ are placed in his body. Okay, that whole process we already read in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. I'll read it again though. It says, for in one spirit, we were all, it says, baptized into one body. In Galatians uh, 3, 27, it says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, okay? So what we see is spiritual baptism unites us with him. We are baptized into Christ the moment we receive him as our Lord and Savior. It's an incredible thing. Some who study this and look at this, they believe that this one baptism is referring to water baptism. And, and that's, a, that's not like a bad thing, like water baptism, you know, like, you know, when you think about, uh, in fact, the reason why they believe this is because by the way Paul has been speaking, uh, he has been um, communicating about each member of the Trinity in succession. So he started with talking about the Holy Spirit we saw in four and then Jesus in five, and then we'll see God the Father in six. And so to people that interpret this as water baptism, they say, this is Jesus's section. But water baptism, if it is alluding to this, water baptism was important in the early church, right? Uh, It wasn't a means of salvation or a special blessing, but it was a public testimony of identity and unity in Jesus. So they were publicly identifying through the act of water baptism, they were identifying that they were now a Jesus follower, right? It's like they were identifying that they have now been, you know, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, baptized into uh, the family of God. And they were publicly declaring that. I want to encourage you, if you've never been baptized and you're a Jesus follower, at some point, I don't know when yet, we will be doing those again. In verse six, it finishes with this. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul likes to emphasize God as Father throughout his letter. In particular, this letter. We are adopted children into the same family, loving and serving the Father, so we ought to be able to walk together in unity. Right, we've, we've, we've all been adopted. If we're a Jesus father, we've been adopted into that same family and we should be loving and serving the same father, which ought to bring unity, right? You know, growing up, and I'm the middle of three boys, uh, growing up, I remember that there were some specific things that we could do uh, that would make our father proud, that would, make, that would bring joy to him. And, and, and I remember as, as being the middle of three boys uh, and, and we rarely were unified in anything because we like to fight with each other, um, just as now I have three boys, which is hilarious, and I see that in them. But, but it's interesting how when we were actually trying to please our father, we would find ourselves doing the same things. In other words, there was a unity that was brought in our desire to make our father happy. Because it was consistent. We knew. There, it, was, it was clear what makes him happy. And so with that clarity, it brought unity into what we were going to do to bring joy to our Father. And, and as you think about that in the context of what we're talking about here, he is, God is our Heavenly Father. 
And as our heavenly father, as we focus on loving him, pleasing him, serving him, as a byproduct of that, if he is the same father to all of us Jesus followers, it should unify us. That should be a byproduct. Like, like here's the reality uh, of this. Like the Lord's prayer opens with what? Our father, not my father, our father. God's oneness is foundational to Christianity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 4 through 6, it says, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. It's foundational. The New Testament reveals that the more complete truth uh, or the more completeness of this uh, as it talks about God in three persons, the Trinity, right? We, 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 and, we, and we see it very clearly. In Matthew 28, 19, we see God in three persons. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So God the Father is often used in scripture as the most comprehensive and inclusive divine title, though it's clear that he's never separated in nature or power from the Son or the Holy Spirit. And Paul's not trying to separate the persons of the Godhead, but to note their unique roles and focus on their unity in relation to each other and in relation to the church manifested in the different aspects mentioned in these three verses. See, the triune God not only creates the unity we have, but also serves as the ultimate picture of the unity. See, we read this last week, and, and, I'll, and I'll read part of it again. Jesus prayed for unity, reflecting on his relationship with the Father. Uh, in, in John chapter 17, verse 21, it says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Okay, so we see as he's reflecting on the unity with the Father, he is praying for that. And so we see that the Father gives believers this divine unity by the Holy Spirit through the Son. And we see that he is over all. It says over all. In other words, sovereign, in complete control over absolutely anything, over any disease, over, over any issue, over, over any pain. Uh, he is through all. In other words, he's omnipotent, okay? He's all, uh, <laughs> literally, he's all powerful. He can use absolutely anything he wants to bring about his desired result. And he is, it says, in all. He's omnipresent. He can be anywhere and everywhere at one time. And a healthy church reflects this unity and is a testimony to a watching world as we think about just the Trinity operating in unison together, and as we think about the pieces, as we think about these seven foundational doctrinal statements, it should bring unity, it should bring clarity. And as you think about these things, the question I have for you, is there tension in your spirit or is there unity in your spirit?
as you think about some of these things, these, these, these foundational, these one statements that unite us around this oneness that we're to have? Is there tension in your spirit or is there unity in your spirit? And if there are tensions or feelings of disconnectedness, maybe your faith has been shaken. Maybe there's foundational issues. See, you need unity inside before you can expect to apply it on the outside. Yeah, you can put a mask, you can pretend, but any true and lasting unity that reflects Jesus Christ that comes out of your life, it's gotta come from what he's doing inside of your life, through the Holy Spirit, through your inner being. And if there is not a oneness right now inside, you're not gonna reflect that. You're not gonna be about that. What God is trying to build, you're gonna tear down. And so I want us just right now to just for, for a minute, I want us to just take a minute and I wanna take some of these hurts because I think for some of us, it boils down to some of us have been hurt by the church. Some of us have been hurt by people that said they were Christians. Some of us have been hurt by verses that have been used as weapons against us. And we're hurt, we're wounded, we're confused. And maybe we're just we're struggling even belief. And these things that we've seen or maybe we've done are contradictory to what these one foundational statements are about. And I want us to take this time of worship and reflection that we're about to go into and just lay them at Jesus's feet. I want you to take that off. Because some of you are taking all this baggage, all this hurt, all this pain. You're taking it into your time with God. You're taking it into your relationship with him. And it's not you giving it to him. No, you're carrying it. You're carrying it into church. You're carrying it into your interactions. And, and you're carrying it in how you're trying to live. And so you're not experiencing this oneness, this incredible unifying effect. You're not, you're not feeling or experiencing any of that. You're not operating in that. You're not being used by God right now because this is still a part of you. These, these wounds, these all these things, you, you, you've held on to them. It's time to let them go. And so I'm gonna encourage us during this first song, uh, in a minute, I'm gonna pray for us. But, but during this first song, I want to challenge you to, to bring these things to God, to have this moment. There may be chaos in your house right now. There may be kids running around. I don't know. But take a moment and just give some of the, these things over. Give some of these people over to God. Give some of these things that maybe you've done or said that you wish you wouldn't have. Give those things over to God. And then let's hit the power button. My computer, I never hit the power button. And, and I've been told by people, you need to restart it more often. You need to use the power button. So I did it the other night. It was incredible. I think my computer was, was totally confused. But I think for some of us, we have not hit the reset button. And it's time to do that because we're taking too many things that have no business being in our, our relationship with God anymore. And we need to get rid of them. And so I'm gonna challenge you to do that during the song of response. Let me pray for us.